Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi, packagers, deal packagers, sourcing people, property packaging people out there in property packaging land. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Property Sourcing Profits. Going to have to wipe off now because there was a lot of peas there. I've got a guest team. I'm so excited. I am. I've got a guest today. This isn't something I normally do. I normally talk to myself for 40 minutes and you know how that rolls. But today we've got something really, really special. I've got sitting opposite me a wonderful breast. breast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave that in. (laughs) A wonderful guest, a property professional, the wonderful... A round of applause for the wonderful Tony Gargan. Yay! <laughs> welcome, oh, welcome, Thank Tony. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, no, how, I'm honoured. So uh, for those of you listening, we are actually in Dublin. We're at the Dublin Multiple Streams, and Tony has kindly uh, found me half an hour where she can come, we can talk property, we can talk stuff and all that sort of thing. So, burning question, Tony. I'm going to start with a burning question. Okay. Okay. Why? Why property? Why not? Yes, why property? So you gave up your job, you had a good job. Yep. And you went into property. Big leap. There might be people listening to this who think that's a big leap. They want to get out of there. Got aspirations to give up their job, but they, you know, they're on the edge. But you actually did it. How brave. Well, it was brave, but I'd left my job after I'd already replaced my income. So, yeah, it was still brave. It was still very scary. Why property? I'll be honest, I didn't really want to invest in property. It was Chris, my husband, desperate to invest in property. I'd been an accidental landlord before. I'd made loads of mistakes. So we started investing in property to appease my husband, get him out of a job that he hated. But he was too scared to leave. So I left my job first. (laughs) (laughs) So this... this, um... This drive to get into property come, came from you originally, you and Chris originally, because you haven't got a, there's no family history which is no. entrepreneurial or, no. you know, you go. No, not at all. Everyone's to, so it's, it, jobs. Go on. So what, what was it that Chris inspired in you so that you? He's always been interested in property, always really liked architecture, but he's also hated his job and wanted to be his own boss. Cool. Hated the idea of being beholden to people working. He was working awful shifts, stupid early starts. He used to come home on his break because he hated his job so much. He used to come home on his break and then go back to work just to not be there. But he's actually really business-minded. But he'd never had the he'd, he'd never been brave enough to do it. And I'm the vocal one in the relationship. So we'd gone along and done some property training and realised that actually you can do it with the right knowledge, the right help. That was a massive, massive part of it was having help from other people. And I'm like a dog with a bone. So if someone said to me a challenge, it's like, watch me do it. Property was it, it was something he was interested in, but not so much me. Cool. So what, what, so did you spend evenings at home uh, while you were watching, I don't know, Delil and Pasco or something? <laughs> the, the latest whatever was on. Was he scrolling through right move? Oh, Is that constantly, how it went? yeah. So we set aside, it was like a rule, minimum two hours a night if we couldn't do two hours in the evenings when the boys went to bed. Really? So when we started, yes, it oh, was like wow. a rule. Two hours a night if we couldn't do two hours because I used to work shifts or I'd work evenings sometimes, we'd do it at the weekend or we'd add extra hours in, but it was minimum 10 hours a week if that was the rule. So scrolling through Facebook, networking events. Fab. So you were all in and uh, you went to Progressive Property. Yes. Why? Why Progressive? <laughs> 
so I'd been to a different training company a year before. So Chris has always been interested. 2014, it was like, we should look into this. And there was an event that come to Liverpool, so it was easy. We only had to go down the road for it. We'd gone along with a couple of our friends, got a babysitter for the night, and decided that we could invest in property. Um, long story short, we'd done some training with this company, and although the training was good, the, there was loads of negativity around the company. There wasn't really a support network, so I was like, no, we're not going to do this. It's, it's not for us. And I shied away from property completely. And Chris was still adamant that we could do it. So we just kind of behind the scenes, doing loads of research, different training companies. He come, I'm, I literally have no idea how we come across progressive property. Probably on an email database somewhere. Yeah, I'll he, be me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and he started listening into webinars, but I still wasn't interested. So it'd be on of an evening, he'd be listening. He'd, you know, he'd put it on loudspeaker so that I could hear it. And I was like, I'm not interested, I'm not interested. And eventually he just said, just sit down, spend an hour listening to it. If you hate it at the end of it, then we don't have to do anything. And it was Rob Moore who was hosting the webinar. Sure. And yeah, I was I was trying not to, I was try, trying to pretend that I wasn't interested, but actually I was totally engrossed in what he was saying. And he just made it, he simplified what it is. And it was all about support, all about the network. And so we, we got an audio set, we got the Bigger and Bank audio set. Because actually we had no funds to invest. I was on maternity leave at this point. Um, Chris was in a job that earned good money, but not enough for both of us in terms of replacing both our income. And so we then found Progressive Property, went along to a one-day event, and the rest is history. From there, we've done a little bit of everything with Progressive. How fab. And I kind of remember you, Tony, because this was 2015, right? Yeah. Okay, so I went up to Liverpool PPN. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't, I didn't know you at that point, but you were in the room. Yeah. I didn't, and, uh, and Rob Stewart was a host in those days. And um, you won the prize. You won something. I right? did. Um, I think it was, it was a book or an audio set. So, yeah. I definitely won. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Isn't that awful? That's because I've got that many books in all. <laughs> yeah, we got them all. I understand. Um, I got ten of Kevin McDonald's. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. <laughs> So, uh, you're, you're on your way, you're doing like uh, six-hour round trips to Peterborough from Liverpool. How yeah, long was just it? Yeah, about, just over three and a quarter yeah. hours there to thereabouts. So, what was your start? How did you go, start going? How did you, when did you buy your first property? Once you were on your journey, who, who inspired you? Who were your mentors? What, what Did you get involved with VIP? All of that stuff. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I intended to go for that one day to the Beginner's Property Secrets Day make Chris realise that yeah it's just the same as everything else that we've all heard and we won't be able to do it we'll go home and we'll go back to our life but Chris is far more smart than I give him credit for he took me along knowing that I'd be inspired by it or that I'd be the one who wanted to do it and it just it changed over that day Chris being the driving force behind it Peter Jones was the trainer and I loved the way that he delivered it was just a really relaxed way um, he talked about his own journey, a lot of other different people and how they, from irrespective of your background, you can do it, talking about joint venture finance. And it just totally piqued my interest and I thought, actually, we could do this. I saw it as a challenge. Wow. And he also mentioned, uh, he sat on the orange sofa and he said, I'm now running training events because we're doing that many. Rob and Mark have got this big global vision, so I'm running training events because they can't do them all and we need more speakers and trainers. Um, more importantly, we need more female speakers because we haven't really got any. And Chris kind of nudged me and was like, you never shut up, you could do that. Because <laughs> as a HR manager, I had to do training and that. So this was really before you started your property? Totally. Wow. He just, it, it was, that was a massive driving force though, because I, I thought, well, that's actually something that I'd like to do. You know, it's something that fulfills what I like to do, but also it's an income stream, but I can't do it unless we've got a property portfolio. Because no one's ever going to 
you know, buy into us as people if we've not got a portfolio. So the two fueled one another. So we decided that I'd been an accidental landlord. I'd yeah. bought a house in 2007 with an ex-partner in Chester. So I live in Liverpool, in Chester, because I hated the commute. And we totally and utterly balls it up. Paid far too much money for it. Got into a bidding war with another couple. Spent loads on a refurb. And we then split up. Me and that boyfriend then split up. He moved away. I was stuck with a house that was... He, wasn't, he wasn't the one you hit with your shoe, was he? No, that was a different one. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Keith, have you listened? <laughs> no, that was not him. That was a different one. Okay, You're making me cool. sound like a serial date. <laughs> No, this boyfriend, we'd been we'd been renting a house together, right in the centre of, of Chester, really expensive. And I'd done it because I was spending a lot of money, spending a lot of time away from home. I lived in Liverpool, worked in Chester. So it was, we'll rent. Then it was rent, dead money, we should buy somewhere. And this was 2007. So if you had a pulse, yeah. a, a document that said your name, you could get a mortgage. Absolutely. So I got a mortgage with Northern Rock. 100% mortgage. Of course, <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, well, it needs a bit of a refurb so mm. we can get you additional feet. So it, it worked out that it was about 115% mortgage. Yeah. Oh, no, I, no. I wish days. you could see Those David's day. No, happy days. They were. Well, it day was one remortgages and all that. I mean, it's totally relevant to friends listening today because you can't do this stuff anymore. Thank God you can't. That was what I'd say because we bought this house totally... Like, we'd spent a fortune on the refurb as well, and my family are from a plaster and background, so we'd saved money, made this house look lovely, realised that actually we disliked each other, he moved out, I kept hold of the house, but I'm, I'm really, really stubborn, so it was like, well, I, I, I literally don't have... It was in about twenty twenty two thousand pounds worth of negative equity by this point, so we were stuck. And I can laugh about it now, but at the time, it was horrific. I was 22 in a position where I had this great job, but all of my money from the job was going to go into the house if I needed to pay back a loan. So he effectively paid me his half of the debt to walk away from it, and I took the whole debt on myself. So, wow. yeah, it was really, really stressful. I hated living alone, so I took in a lodger. Hated living with people more than I hated <laughs> living alone. <laughs> Realised really quickly that I did not want to share my space with anyone else, so... But also because it was it was a Northern Rock mortgage, it was a high interest rate. Yeah. It was it wouldn't work as a single let property. No. Well, I'm saying that it would have if I didn't know the right way to do it. But because it was such a high mortgage, I knew nothing about property. Didn't know that I needed to buy to let mortgage, so I was I was illegally letting it out to this lodger. I then moved back to Liverpool and rented out to two other people because the only way that I could cover the bills, I couldn't just let it to like a family or one person. I needed to rent it as a, a multi let just to break even on it. So I was an illegal multi-let landlord. Well done you. Thank you. Well and then I realised it was wrong. So when I found out, I applied for a consent to let, but it was, oh, I hated every minute of it. So it, it was just, it was like, it was the bane of my life because I didn't know anything about tenants and I, I didn't put a tenant and let an agent in place. And The danger with people who got involved in property in 2007, just before the crash, if they were new, is that it can scar you. What happened, Sky, and those experiences you went through might have put you off property again, but just skipping through back to 2015, uh, you've done a little bit of training, Mm -hmm. right? You're not scarred. Chris is all in. He wants to do property. He wants to be a property millionaire. (laughs) And suddenly you've got this urge to speak and train as well. So can I? Would you mind if I skip forward to no, 2019, shoot. where we are now, right? Yep. Uh, go on. 
in what three and a half years tell us where you are now so now I am one of the female trainers for Progressive. You certainly Jumped are. in alongside. So Anne Holton was the only person who was really training at that point. Um, now I deliver on loads of different events for Progressive and Unlimited Success. It's pretty much what I do more than property. So property fuels it. Property, passive in, income from property gives me the opportunity to do the speaking because it's not totally passive. But we're in Dublin at the minute. Mm. You know, we travel to London, we've done Glasgow, we do all different places around the UK. I deliver lots of different trainings around joint venture finance, property and public speaking and I totally, totally love what I do. So property was the thing that got me started in that now. Yeah, and let's take on let's take this on Tony Squarely. So people say, uh, you know, those that can't teach. Yeah. And uh, why? Why would you be a trainer if you if you've got a property business? Why don't you just do more property if it's that easy? And uh, speaking for myself first, yeah. um, I do not need the income from training to support my lifestyle. When yeah. it, because of property, and I'm married well, I think. You know, <laughs> I've you seen Cheryl, you've married well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of property, all the, I don't want to overstate it, but all the basic costs to maintain my lifestyle are covered before I get out of bed. So I don't have to do this for the money. Yep. I do it because I love it. And I saw you downstairs like a few minutes ago yeah, on the Dublin stage and you love it, Tony, totally. and you were playing with the crowd. And, you know, um, I didn't realise, you know, Scousers in Dublin go down really well. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like the first stop for them going the other way. right? <laughs> so uh, they loved you in the room and you play with it and the skills that you've developed, which is what I've come to about being a speaker are significant now, right? So talk about the skills you've developed as, as a speaker and also give us a snapshot what you're doing property because you've moved on a bit from the reluctant yeah. landlord stage. Yeah, definitely. So speaker first, um, I love I love speaking. So property supports our lifestyle for me, Chris, and the boys, you know, for me it was that I wanted to be the speaker so I had to have the property portfolio. So property actually was... It, it was like a necessity to get it done but now property gives me the opportunity to do what I love so I mean yes the money's lovely but it's not a necessity it gives you extra spends and money some of that money now we're starting to invest in property because we've never invested our own money in property we've used other people's money along the way totally love what I do and I get a big buzz from speaking, so that's why I do it. Also, it helps me with property, though, because it helps me to get good deals because people find out who you are and where you are and they offer you deals. Yes. It helps you to raise joint venture finance. So yes. there is no way I would have raised the amount of finance I have done without the speaker skills because some of it's from the stage or some of it's just perfecting like the pitches that you do in this. I never considered myself a salesperson at all. And once I did, that's when we started raising finance. So flipping that over to property. So we still do single lets. I keep saying we, it's Chris and I, because we're in business together. Yeah. Single let properties. So we've got, uh, well, we've just purchased another another block of apartments. So we've got over 30 properties now. Single let properties, houses and blocks of apartments. So in one block, we might have four, five or six. That's quick, Tony. I mean, 25, 2015, you know, you were in Rob Stewart's PPN room. Yeah. And- you know, Without a clue. <laughs> <laughs> and we're only just 2019 now, so you've you done well. You've done good. Thanks. <laughs> I'd like to say it's all us. You know, me and Chris knew what we were doing. A big part of that was being part of the community because our first joint venture partners, so we literally had no money to invest. We went poor, but we didn't have a stockpile of money, so it was a case of, well, if we do this, we've got to do it with joint venture finance. So it was family members first, but then the second investors were VIPs. 
and it was literally Go on, talk about, in the room. Talk about that. So you're in. You you obviously joined the VIP community at Progressive. Yeah. Uh, and you're that's a pretty buzzy place to be. Those serious serious property people in that room. Um, but you walk in there with no money and you want to do property. So how did you? How did you get up onto your knees and then start running? How did you do it? Because I I was totally overwhelmed because, you know, you know me quite well. You know that I'll walk into a room and I'll talk to anyone. But I remember walking into one of the rooms and everyone was networking and it was like, oh, hang on a minute. These are all like these really big property players and everyone seems to know what they're doing. And I felt like the new kids at school. And it was like, well, you were, to be fair. Definitely. But it was... I remember there was a conversation going on, you know, when you just kind of decide, look to the conversation and people open the group up to let you speak or to let you listen in and be a part of it. And I'd never experienced that before. And I just kind of listened to what people were saying. And the questions always asked, so what are you doing? What do you do in property? And we just got our first deal. So we done, uh, I started, I done the masterclass straight after the Beginners Property Secrets. So that was in the March, joined VIP in April. And then we got our first property, so we purchased it July and had a tenant by August. So quite yeah, I know it was so exciting. Mm. Um, But then I was still really excited, so I was talking to people and I'm saying, "Oh, what are you doing? I've just bought a house and we bought it for this and started talking about the deal that we'd done." And people just kind of, I'm thinking, they're politely listening to what I've got to say. You know, the new kid, it's like, let's pat her on the head and off she goes. And then at the end of the conversation, a fellow VIP came up and said, oh, that deal sounds really interesting. Um, if you get any more like that, uh, just give me a shout. I'd be interested to know. So I'm thinking he wants me to source property for him. <laughs> you know, he wants me to go off, find it. And, and that's, at, at the start, I thought, well, that's not something I want to do. Anything I find, I want to buy myself. And so I was like, well, we've got a few at the minute that we're working through the numbers on. He was like, oh, let's set up a call. So we set up a call. We discussed these kinds of deals. And it was like, okay, so how much do you need? So he thought, and in my head, I just presumed he wanted me to, to source them to him. And he loaned us £170,000, which bought us two. Wow. I know. How cool is that? You see, and this is um, this is the magical story from that magical place in Peterborough that we tell again and again and again, and people don't yeah. always believe it. I wouldn't have. But it, it actually happens, yeah. right? And it, your, your journey is interesting because when I first started, I mean, I'm going back a bit, right? But when I first started getting into property full-time, which was, you know, I was accidental from 1977, really, um, in my loon pants. Uh, and <laughs> they were all the rage. I've Googled them because you mentioned the them before. Uh, but it was in the 90s when I got seriously into property. And then you build up relationships with estate agents and sourcing and yeah. stuff to buy your own stuff. And then we run out of money, right? Yeah. We all run out of money. But you don't want to waste those relationships. So I fell into deal sourcing. And it sounds like you, you totally mirrored the journey as well. Definitely. So a big part of it was, I remember I remember going to one mentorship session on VIP and I was really frustrated because everyone around me seemed, because you compare yourself to other people and you're seeing people doing these great deals. And I think quite often you forget that maybe they're a few months or a few years ahead of you or actually you're going to be there. You don't think you're ever going to be there. Yeah. Seeing all these people doing great things. And I was frustrated. I'd gone along to my mentorship session and I was like having a bit of a moan. Keep finding all these deals. I can't find the money. It's not fair. Wow, wow, wow. Having a little whinge. And my mentor on that session said, right, you've got a choice here. So you can either have 100% of nothing because that's what you've currently got. If you've got no funds to invest right now, you can have 100% of nothing, or you can joint venture and take 50% of something, which is better than 100% of nothing. Or oh, didn't like the idea of sharing with other people. I'm finding the great deals. And that kind of, oh, I went off with a bit of a pout, you know, that, that's really going to help me, isn't it? 
and that changed absolutely everything because really? oh without a shadow of a doubt because it was like i am being ridiculous we're finding these great deals so we started looking at not only joint venturing but packaging them on as well because it was like well you're finding these great deals what are you doing with them what we're doing is we're told we're putting them in a crm system we're contacting them back another eight weeks later and it's like well we'd had privy like when you've built up the relationship with agents and they're telling you look they'll accept x amount yeah. so you know what you can get the property for and it never dawned on me that I should be sourcing these onto other people. It was, just, it was missed money. And I'd, I'd missed so much money because I'd not sourced them onto other people. Wow. So while we were waiting to raise the finance or trying to do it, it was like, well, there's three grand you've missed. There's five grand you've missed. And that was... So your mentor, Iceman, presumably, yeah. God bless him, um, pushed it in that direction. Yeah. I, I didn't think it wasn't a direction I wanted to go in. Didn't yeah. want to deal. So I don't want to be leafleting and knocking on people's doors but yet we'd done it put the mm. legwork in and then when it starts to pay dividends it was like we are missing out on so much money here we only need three or four of those sourced on and there's a deposit for our own property Fab. so we started doing the two alongside one Fab. i hope you're all listening to this team because you can do this stuff i mean you, you know tony just followed the system mm-hmm. and all right she she applied it with intelligence and energy but that's really what this is all about absolutely what it's all about so would you be prepared to share some of the stuff you're doing now? Because now you're doing yeah. big shit, aren't you? Well, we are. We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so single letters where we started. Moved into HMOs. Decided that wasn't a roof for me. I like single letters because I like the set and forget model. I like to buy, refurb, and just move on from it. Yeah, so we started doing that with single letters. Wanted to move faster. And then we got to a point where we had more joint venture finance than we did deals. And it was like, well, what can we do? And I seen what other people were doing. And blocks of apartments were really appealing. So we do that with blocks of apartments now. So um, yeah, we've got we've got like clusters. They're in different areas. Clusters. Clusters. Of More than one team, I think, is what she's saying. <laughs> clusters. Well, they're in three different areas because okay. it was finding them in one area first. Yeah. Some we've got through estate agents. Others we've paid sourcing agents for. So the biggest deal that we're doing, well, we've got two. The biggest deal that we're doing right now that we're in the process of is a conversion of a house to apartments. Uh, well, actually, it was originally six apartments. So the planner was all in place. We didn't have to touch planning, which was great. But these were six apartments and they were really small kind of studio ones. They'd been stripped back to bare brick and it was unmortgageable. So with Joint Venture Finance, we purchased the block. We've done it really high end. So we've just finished the fifth one in there. And this is a block of apartments that we're still under debate now. So I had a conversation with Joint Venture Party yesterday. Our plan from the start was to sell so, these on. Should we keep them now? Well, now my estate agent's telling me this is what I can get you in terms of service to accommodation at 60, 70%. You're going to be making 136 grand a year. Anything over and above is pure profit. And it's like, this is so. An asset and holding the asset. Sorry to cut. No, no. Holding the asset, Tony, is what makes you wealthy over time. Definitely. So you're a young woman. Look at you. (laughs) Strip of a thing, right? Um, he's going to say that because I'm sat up isn't he? <laughs> um, she's still got her shoes on I'm alright um, but by the time you're my age what are those apartments going to be worth so what? even if you own half of them or 30% whatever the deal yeah. is right, uh, they're going to make you wealthy and if you don't need to sell them you know, maybe you should hold well the plan was always buy and hold buy and hold and we've done that until both Chris and I had replaced our incomes and then it was like well okay we look at each deal on its own merit now because that was always the intention. It was never to sell anything, buy, buy, buy. And then we bought these and the profit was really appealing on this. So this is, it could have had anywhere over 400 grand's worth of profit. Um, and that was really appealing because one of the joint venture partners that we work with, you know, he doesn't need the cash flow. 
it's not something he needs neither did we and it was like well, okay we'll see what the options are but that's the that's the beauty of something like this especially with the, the apartments that we do the beauty of it being we have multiple exits the cool. freehold's got a value which we haven't cool. taken into consideration yet absolutely we can keep them all we can sell half so are they all on one title all on one title point? at the right. minute so one title one freehold six apartments um, we've done a really high sp- they, they're gorgeous it was a labour of love I'm saying a labour of love it's took six months so it's not the end of the world but these are beautiful and now we're in a position where it's like we can sell them on we yeah. can sell half and keep half we can sell the freehold or keep the freehold or whatever or we can rent them out which will give us you know a nice yield or we can service to accommodation them so we've got loads of options and now it's just you know it's a first world problem. What should we do with them? Cool. So next time you got a Liverpool team, you know where to stay. Yes, yes. definitely. We'll contact Tony. Um, so people listening to this will see this meteoric rise. And, and, you know, it's fast, Tony. It is. And you've done it with joint venture mm-hmm. capital along the way. So uh, in a few minutes we got left because I yeah. know you've got another speaking slot and I want you to be able to get your mind in space, <laughs> you know, organised. I don't want to put you off. Um, if people are thinking about joint ventures, what are the two or three key points that they should think about if they've got someone that wants to work with them? If they've got someone that wants to work with yes. them, start with the end in mind. So sit down and iron out every possible scenario before you sit down. So the, the joint ventures that I've seen, touch wood, I've been quite lucky. I've had no major disasters in my joint ventures, but I think a big part of that is from the start sitting down and kind of writing down a list of what you want, what I want, and how we can make that work together. That's definitely one of the first things you've got to do. And that's the bad things that could potentially happen as well. What if you want to sell and I don't? What if one of us dies? All of those things that you don't want to talk about, do that from the start because you never know what might happen. It's all on paper and then there's no there's no animosity because your joint venture partners you want to be able to speak to and enjoy spending time with them. So I'd say that's definitely a top tip in there. Um, don't just look at joint ventures because you get what you ask for. So initially we were looking for joint ventures because that's what we've been told to do. And that's what we got. However, Chris and I wanted to build our own portfolio and it was like, ah, how do we do that now if we're just buying and holding everything? So don't cut off all of your other avenues. So now we've got joint venture partners who will purchase with or they'll loan us funds. So keep your options open in terms of of what what you can do or what you can offer to the joint venture partner. And I think that's probably tip three is you will never raise joint venture finance if you're just in it for what you can get. That's my stomach growl. <laughs> if you're just in it for what you can get. So I think one of the biggest things that we get, and it's, it's a compliment from joint venture partners, is that we keep them updated all of the way. Even if there's something, because there will be bits and bobs that don't go to plan or you know a change of course if you're buying and selling or holding or whatever, to keep them updated along the way. Look at every... Keep your radar on at all times because if you mix in the right crowds, and I think for me that was... The starting point for that was definitely VIP because I would never have seen the heights that we could have got to because you're totally spared on by watching other people but also they're the people who've been where you are right at the start and and people will invest in you as the person so I'd say start with the end in mind make sure that you iron out all of the potential issues from the start and surround yourself with the right people mix in the right circles because one leads to another like one person sees what you're doing and it just takes one person to invest in you. Yes. So keep your, your options open at all times. Don't just think, you know, blinkered, this is the route that I do. So we now do joint ventures on different bases. We do loans with other people and now we're investing our own money into properties that we've, we've never done before. Fab. Tony, we're running out of time. We are. 
Uh, bless you, you've given me 30 minutes and we've just gone over. Um, but I feel we've only scratched the surface, so can we do it again at some point? Yeah, definitely. Come back and talk about it. We'll More than happy to do that. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming up to my hotel room. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had a young woman in my hotel room. I think the listeners should know that when we got into a lift, the first thing that you said to a random man in the lift was, <laughs> she's coming up to my hotel room. <laughs> And for once, I was speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Tony, thank you so much. Um, property Sourcing Profiteers out there. Uh, this has been another episode for Property Sourcing Profits. Uh, I'm going to give it to the wonderful editing team. You should be out here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but we'll be back. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you very soon. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.